The Radio Stingray Podcast is brought to you by our gold sponsor, McNally Jones Staff Lawyers. Proudly supporting the MUA Sydney branch since 1977. Need assistance with employment, industrial or workers' compensation, or any other legal problem? Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get a real fighting lawyer on your side. tuned in to Radio Stingray. Well, comrades and friends, lovers and haters and the tens of billions of listeners, not only in this country but around the entire universe, welcome to Radio Stingray, the MUA Sydney Branch podcast brought to you from Silky Studios in sunny Waterloo on the Gadigal land of the Aura Nation. Comrades, it's been a massive month. Keto, you've been the acting branch secretary for most of it. There's a huge number of uh, issues that we're going to bring to your attention today, comrades. The first being the MUA, TCFUA and CFMEU merger that's been um, shouted out down from the rooftops by all the Conservatives. We've got an update on the streets and Torben's disputes. We've got the outcome of the non-binding same-sex postal survey. We've got other electoral and political matters. We've got the AGM, the IDC zone coordinators meeting and Queensland MUA conference to stop the war on workers rally that shut down the city. I've been to Ireland for the last two weeks as a guest of Sinn Féin and that's all before our EA's campaigns and disputes updates. Comrade, what a huge month. Um, Keto, how was it? Well, I'm tired just listening to what you said there, comrade. (laughs) It has been a big month. And uh, we had international guests here as well, Macca, and we'll give you the report around that when it comes to the uh, Stop the War and Workers Rally. But it has been big, and the rank and file have been out there in the community in these uh, pickets and campaigns, as well as, um, you know, uh, the uh, all the officials. PG, it was a big month for you too, comrade. You had plenty of media attention. How was it for you? <laughs> oh, mate, I was a big star on Sunrise, and uh, I think Ray Hadley was our best mate for a period there a couple of weeks ago. So obviously it's been a topsy-turvy sort of month, Macca, but there's been plenty of real issues going on and certainly need a cigarette after your opening introduction. I see there's a fair bit going on, but the good thing is we're on course, plenty of fights, and we'll get into it uh, during this edition of Radio Stingray. And we also have with us a new member of the Radio Stingray team in Dan Crumlin, branch committee member who's in office at the moment as a consequence of Joe Deacon being laid up. He's uh, quite ill, our comrade, with his um, with his legs in the air, um, being looked after by the doctors and the specialists. Dan, welcome to Radio Stingray, comrade. How has um, the last week or so been for you? Thanks, comrade. Yeah, no, it's been a good week. It's been a busy week, but um, no, a historical week with the amalgamation, which we'll talk about later, I believe, and um, good to be here and looking forward to getting into it. Excellent. Good stuff, comrades. Well, after the break, we'll be going into some of the matters we've just brought to your attention. At Unity Bank, we are 100% committed to maritime workers. We pride ourselves on delivering better all-round value to our members and their families. Unity Bank, proud supporter of the Maritime Union of Australia 
and sponsor of this podcast. Comrades, the first item that we'll be discussing today is the historical outcome of the merger that you, as the membership of this great union, have been involved in. Uh, and we had a historically high 87% that voted for the amalgamation between the MUA, the CFMEU and the TCFUA. It's been a very long two and a half years. The members have been involved in meetings after meetings, whether it's been on the job, whether it's been at the monthly meetings or the AGM, we've all been involved in this discussion and process and it's finally come to a conclusion. It's a historic outcome. We're no longer going to be just the MUA. We're going to be merged with our friends and dear comrades in the CFMEU uh, and those wonderful workers that make up the TCFUA. It's going to be a huge union. Everyone's howling it down in the conservative side of politics. Everyone believes that it's an inspirational moment in trade union history in this country um, for those on the left and, and involved in the social justice movements. It's a particularly uh, courageous decision that's been made by the members. I don't think members will see much of a change in, um, in the next 12 months. We're going to be the Maritime Union of Australia still. We're still going to have our branches, our rules, our constitution. All of our resolutions are going to remain intact, just as the members determined at last year's national conference. A huge moment in our history. Uh, Keto, what do you reckon, comrade? Well, I reckon the, uh, the rank and file have given us a mandate. And it's a mandate uh, by workers to build something in a time where we have never seen such inequality as we've seen in the in this last period. In fact, it's the highest difference between the rich and poor in 70 years. So this will be a force of working class men and women fighting for their communities and building socialism. We talk about it all the time. This is what's drawing workers to this and believing in uh, building something different to what we've seen for the last 20, 30, 40 years. The system's broken. We must fight back. And the only way to fight back is to build militant, strong, left-wing unions like this. 100%, comrade. And you're getting me excited just talking about it in those terms. Um, PG, what are your thoughts on it, comrade? Well, Michaela Cash says it's a bad idea, so I think it's all right. But more importantly, I mean, we've seen in recent years, whether you do the Hutchison dispute, some other fights there, the MUA and the CFMU have been fellow travellers. They've been side by side, and I, again, make mention of our mate uh, Sparkles and Rita from the CFMU. They've been close friends of the MUA Sydney branch for too long. Um, you know, we, we stand together, we fight together, and the good opportunity here too is that the amalgamation can do some stuff back a house. We can save some money on legals, we can save our, some money on media, and we can put that money back into front of house campaigning, organising and taking on the boss and those who seek to take on workers. So it's a great outcome. I just want to make mention too to everyone who got out and voted. Um, there's been a resounding yes vote. It's been fantastic. And thank you to everyone who's been part of that process to be a part of that historic discussion and let it, let it lead to many new and great things for this great union. 100%, comrade. And um, whilst I'll... I'll um, take this opportunity to also thank and congratulate all of those wonderful members that participated in the phone banking. It was hard for them. They spoke to everyone they possibly could in the whole branch as to um, how they could be involved in the vote. We had some problems with the AEC, I've got to say, and they were um, quite uh, obstinate, I've got to say, in getting replacement uh, votes out there to the members. Mine took a number of weeks to get out to me. So it was disappointing to see that the AEC failed many members in their desire to vote. 
Uh, and I think you got something to say on that too, Conrad. Well, I just want to make the point. You pick up on the AEC. There's been a lot of debate about the role of the AEC in the union in recent years. And again, we've seen hiccups in getting replacement votes. For anyone who's been around long enough, has seen the AEC stuff up a number of protected action ballots over the years. And with the opportunity now for amalgamation, we've seen issues again just getting the votes back out. I must say that's one thing we don't experience in the MUA elections when you've got some of the great returning officers who go out of their way to make sure that everyone can exercise their vote. And it's just a shame we've seen those hiccups because that uh, participation rate, Macca, would have been a lot higher had they done a little bit more like what we see every MUA election. Yeah, exactly right. And Dan, um, what's your perspective, comrade, on the merger? Yeah, great week, Macca. And as you said earlier, an absolute historical week. We're a proud union of... uh, Many amalgamations over generations with the SUA and the WWF and I think this amalgamation sees workers now and future generations of workers really being able to build that capacity to fight, fight big capital, fight the multinationals and uh, fight back. Well, that's exactly right and that's what we need to do and I I think a lot of the uh, advertising of this merger by all parties has been about what it can achieve and from my perspective... It is absolutely essential that if this merger amalgamation is going to be successful, we must reflect the bravery and courage of our members. And if the union does that and seeks to always deliver on that on that promise, that objective, that goal, uh, then this union can become anything it wants to be. There's so many obstacles placed in front of working class people to achieve justice and dignity. And if we can create an organisation, an institution that's capable of you know turning those obstacles on their head, we can achieve real justice. And I'm very hopeful, as are everyone that I've spoken to, uh, that we are creating the opportunity to do that. Maritime Employees Training Limited is an independent, not-for-profit industry training body. Governed by the representatives from the MUA, Maritime Employees and the training sector experts, Metal's goal is to develop the most skillful, safe and efficient maritime workforce globally. Comrades, it has been a busy month, but EAs, we haven't had a great deal of um, change since the last outcome. I know that there's been some updates in particular to the Port Authority of New South Wales that um, a number of us have been involved in, uh, in Joe's absence. He's been involved, um, you know, in part. Uh, we need to discuss that as well as INCO. But, Keto, you've uh, had a couple of EBA meetings in relation to Kalmar and Cube. Can you update the members in relation to those, please? Yeah, comrades, um, Cube uh, truck drivers down at Port Botany. The company gave us an offer uh, this month, mid this uh, month, and um, we put it to the membership. They have rejected the company's offer unanimously, and um, and that was uh, a pretty pr- principal position. Calmar, uh, Calmar still ongoing, but we meet with the company next week, and they have said to us from the last meeting and a couple of discussions uh, in the past week that they're ready for. Uh, to put on an offer at the table next week. So um, we look forward to that meeting with the delegates. And in relation to the Port Authority of New South Wales, we've seen some historical industrial action uh, having to be taken there over the last couple of months. Uh, Joe's, as I said, been leading it. it. It is escalating now, and I know that we're having a meeting with the MUA membership in the next few days to update them uh, how the negotiations are rolling out. But we're going to have to win this dispute. It's turning into a dispute. We've seen a a great deal of inflammatory uh, propaganda coming out of the Port Authority, which is entirely irrational. 
um, and completely devoid of the of the reality of the situation. And I think it's absolutely essential that all of our members are made aware of the escalation that is undoubtedly going to take place at the Port Authority. And I think the government uh, and others are going to be uh, made aware of this. Keto, you've been involved, as has Paul. I'll get your thoughts on it. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, we see the privatisation of New South Wales ports and straight away this uh, this organisation wants to step down on a standard of firefighting that saves lives not just in the port but for Sydney ciders in uh, Sydney Arbour and Port Botany. This is a real issue for Sydney and the first turn of selling the ports, they want to downgrade the safety standards that safeguard all Sydney ciders in this city. Oh, I've just seen it, Macker. It's been somewhat ridiculous. You've got the fire floats that have operated on the harbour in Port Botany there. They're there to do a job. Now, we met with the harbour master uh, with Joe a couple of weeks ago, um, that chief dummy spitter, who said that the, har- the fire tugs haven't been working. We know our members have been out there and have put out fires on it. Down at Barangaroo Wharf was a good example of it. They've been involved in uh, salvaging and assisting ships that are in distress when the winds are foul. But at the end of the day, they provide a service on Sydney Harbour where you have over 300 passenger ships any given year. Um, We said to the Harbour Master, he said, they're not working. We said we want the fire tugs to be like the firefighters at Sydney Airport. Sure, you never want them to work a day in their life. You never want them to do a job, but you want them to be there when you need them. And they've been there on Sydney Harbour time and time again. I'll make that point again. When Barangaroo was alight in the last 12 months, when it was on fire, it was the Sydney Ports fire tug that was dumping water out of its monitor. Sydney Harbour and Botany Bay need a firefighting response. The fire tugs need to be kept. The state government needs to get off its ass and start doing something um, and provide that protection for Sydney Harbour. Yeah, 100% right. And I'm sick to death of hearing these bureaucrats, um, these politicians and everybody else denouncing the hard work that emergency services workers do around this country. Uh, and as you indicated, the, the weaponry that is being used, um, the verbal weaponry by the Port Authority and others around the, the, the requirement of fire tugs with full firefighting capacity, no other vessel uh, and no other piece of machinery has the capacity to put out fires on the Harbour Bridge. We get spoken to and told about the threat of terrorism on a daily basis, whipping us all into a frenzy of hating um, everyone around the world who, who tries to get into this country. Yet a, a piece of equipment that is um, built for the very purposes of putting out fires, um, involving themselves in emergency situations, um, you know, butting up a- alongside vessels that have been... Um, you know, that's snapped its mooring lines in Port Botany. I mean, how many um, people have these um, fire tugs saved? How much uh, infrastructure have they protected? Yet they want to go to some fast rescue craft that doesn't have the same firefighting capacities because it's cheaper. And no one out there in um, Radio Stingray territory is going to believe the words of a CEO, a harbour master or a um, politician as to what is in our best interest. We know what's in our collective best interest, and that is to ensure that we have the best access to safe working systems and safe working procedures and not to minimise it 
it on the basis of cost. So we have indicated to the harbour master, we've indicated to the CEO, we'll be taking our message elsewhere because it's obviously falling on deaf ears in that organisation and we're going to make sure that we fight this battle to the bitter end. The membership are completely on side. Everyone's aware of this in Sydney. We've been rung up by multiple container vessels asking us, what is going on at the Port Authority of New South Wales for them to continue to act as an obstacle to an enterprise agreement? We've explained to the vessel operators that it is not the fault of the MUA Sydney branch. It is not the fault of the uh, Sydney branch membership at the Port Authority. It is the fault of the Port Authority itself. We have not had to engage in industrial action since 1992. It is their fault and we will lay the blame squarely at their feet for every minute of stoppages that they force us to take. Um, and they will have to accept the responsibility for their capitulation, which will come about uh, in the short term. And if not, we'll fight them to the bitter end and get the outcome that our members deserve. All workers deserve job security and the people of New South Wales deserve access to the best equipment available to, to protect um, their property and to protect their livelihoods as well as their lives. This segment is brought to you by RT Health, your industry mutual not-for-profit health fund that has been looking after members like you since 1889. Call us on 1300 564646 to find out how you can join the crew and benefit from the exclusive MUA health plan. Comrades, welcome back to Radio Stingray. As indicated at the start of the show, it's been a huge month with campaigns. Paul G, mate, you've um, been involved in a few yourself this month. Can you update the members, please? Mate, we all have, but I think one of the first ones, and we've spoken about it on previous editions, is the uh, Yes campaign for same-sex marriage. And I'd like to congratulate everyone who got out and voted. It's worth noting that 61.6% of the vote returned in that survey um, was in, in favour of it. It's gone before the Senate, and that's been passed through this week, and hopefully it'll go through the House of Representatives next week. We had the position, and I think everyone's had the position, that that survey was a joke, should never have taken place. It should have just gone straight to the parliament and let the politicians to do their job and go and vote for it like what the people wanted. But nevertheless, it's taken place and there's been an overwhelming yes vote. I want to congratulate everyone who's worked on the campaign, including our own Mal Economos, who's been part of it, and certainly uh, stepped up there to assist. So next week, House of Representatives, hopefully that gets passed through, the bill gets ascended, and, uh, you know, it's a major day in Australia for equality. There's been a bit more going on too. I think uh, those who've been following the TV or a little bit of radio, as we said before, have seen the name of that stupid Ferry Ferry McFerry face. I know we've had a bit of fun with it and there's been a few G-ups come back as well. But we went out there, Macca. We had a nice stink in the uh, public sphere and called out the Transport Minister, Andrew Constance, for a stupid, dumb name uh, for a ferry. Now, We've had a few bits of uh, correspondence and a few bit, uh, love letters from overseas saying, haven't you got a sense of humour? It's only a joke. Sure, but the thing is, jokes have got to stand the test of time. They've got to be funny. Jokes can't be around long enough, you know, 18 on years to the point where they've got the right to vote, drink and go to war. Humour's got to recycle. We, I've done plenty of media and on, on the fourth day of it, we had one of the journos going, well, hang on, you know, this is not that funny anymore. I said, what are you worried about? It's only the fourth day in the media. This name's got to last on the boat for 30 or 40 years. And why are we departing away from a tradition where we name boats after uh, geographical locations that are iconic, after famous Olympians, after famous people that have done things for Australia and contributed? I mean, the public actually selected the name Ian Coonan, a former Australian of the Year, someone who worked his backside off to clean up Sydney Harbour in Australia. So we took it on. We've challenged the minister. You know, there's been a few meetings. He's indicated now he's going to pull back that name, uh, Silly Ferry McFerry Face, and 
It's been a weird week too in the media because when Alan Jones and Ray Hadley say that the MUA is doing the right thing, you've got to stop and to second guess yourself for a minute. But the ferry workers were more concerned of anything else with the stupid names that have come through. On the first day it was named, kids are running down saying, that's great, when's the next boat going to be named Chicken McNuggets? So it just goes to show that a stupid idea and the best part about Sydney Harbour is you don't need a gimmick. You don't need some stupid name to sell Sydney Harbour because it sells itself, and clearly the Transport Minister fell short of that. So we've taken on that, and the last one I suppose I just want to touch on quick has been a bit of a development this week. Um, Back on the 1st of March of this year, Tim McPherson was killed at Barangaroo after a terrible incident or accident that took place there that should never have happened because of dilapidated safety standards. And frankly, a missing company, a missing transport for New South Wales Department and a project that was just rushed. Um, in the last week, and we've been pushing uh, through Safe Work New South Wales. Um, our mate Senator Doug Cameron's put it on the floor of uh, the Senate some months back um, that there should be a coronial inquest and there should be a full inquiry in the public sphere to make sure these accidents never happen again. We've been contacted by Sydney Water Police seeking some further information to prepare a brief for the coronial inquest. That's a great thing because what it can do is serve a purpose to go and save someone else's life, to give industry change. So that's another campaign that we'll be working through, Macron. It's going to take a lot of time and resources. Um, I'm wrong saying it's a great thing. It's a horrific thing because someone died unnecessarily. But the point is we can never allow it to happen again, and I know this branch in the CFME will be doing everything through that inquest to make changes for the betterment of the industry. And uh, hopefully that will be a lasting legacy of this, as you indicated, terrible tragedy. But you've also been involved in your own campaign, uh, not yours, it's ours collectively. It's it's going to be a win for not only maritime workers but also the union as a whole to have one of our members in parliament. Can you update the members how your pre-selection battle is going in the Cedar Banks? Yeah, look, it's very interesting at the moment, um, you know, being out, what do you say, kissing babies and all the rest of it and doing the routine but actually having a lot of chance to go and talk to branch members. There's a pre-selection process in the ALP and it's an interesting process in the ALP. Um, how they do things. We were hoping to have the pre-selection in November, which is an opportunity for all ALP members in the area to stand up and have their vote on whomever they want. Um, that didn't take place, which is pretty disappointing. We wanted to get out and get campaigning. That's been put back to now what we expect to be February next year. I mean, the Parliament's got to last till February next year, and the way Turnbull's been going, he'd be lucky to last till next week. But long and the short of it is, Macca, we're expecting pre-selection to be called next year. There's been a couple of candidates put their hand up. There's actually five. But we're just going out talking about what we say is right, that there needs to be some changes made for the betterment of workers. The industrial relations laws have got to change. People have got to be given dignity in their life. They've got to be in uh, access to affordable housing. They've got to get decent jobs and they've got to be supported in the community through things like childcare, housing, healthcare and all the rest of it. So the conversations are ongoing. We're just going around talking to a number of branch members and those chats will continue in January and February. I think there's a candidates forum at the end of February and when that comes out, we'll uh, certainly let members to know so they can come along and support. But uh, there's a good opportunity here and certainly the way things are going, there's going to be a change of government. We want to be part of it. We want to make sure that there's a loud voice in Canberra advocating for workers and advocating for maritime workers. Well, there's no doubt about it. The MUA certainly needs that. Just in relation to the naming of the ferry, I mean, I received some correspondence on behalf of one or two IRA 
people out there in the community, but it was only one or two of them. And the vast majority of people that I spoke to indicated their complete and total support for the MUA's campaign against what you described as the stupid name. I mean, if he can, if he can call a ferry, Ferry McFerry face, how has anyone got any confidence in his ability to actually make difficult decisions? I mean, what an absolute imbecile. Uh, and for the Premier to be out there basically supporting his ongoing position is a greater tragedy. It is a simple thing about a naming of a ferry which the public selected to be Ian Keenan. If you can't get the simple ones right, how can you get the hard ones right? And he screwed it up completely. Well, you can't. The bloke just is is a walking billboard for himself. He wanted to be out there on social media. He wanted to be out there in the public sphere with his um, name splashed across all of the media sites in this country and the world using our harbour for his own opportunism, using our ferries for his own political aggrandisement. I mean, what a sick joke being played out on the New South Wales electorate. And thankfully, thankfully, saner heads have prevailed, largely as a consequence of the campaign driven out of the Sydney branch uh, with the support of the great majority of commuters and New South Welshmen. Uh, and I'm just glad that we're in this situation. I mean, I, I had to explain to people our, our greatest disappointment was that the MUA uh, had to be there in the media debating this when there's a whole host of issues with far much more gravity, with far greater impacts on our daily lives, yet this is the one um, that we get all of the media attention around. So we are where we are. It's a good outcome, um, and I look forward to the renaming of, um, of, that, of that ferry into something that the people of New South Wales can support. And with the yes victory, it's a, it's a, massive, a massive shot for anyone who, who hates and opposes discrimination, anyone who believes in equality, this is a tremendous outcome that we haven't heard a lot of in the last few days because of the Bank Royal Commission that the uh, Prime Minister has just announced. It goes from one stuff up to another. But I'm, I'm very hopeful that the, the haters out there, in particularly the religious haters, I mean, Christianity is supposed to be based uh, on one premise and that's love. And yet you've got all of these priests and pastors and um, all the other names that they've been able to come up with them for themselves, bishops, archbishops, and Christ knows what else. He, he, he would know what he else. would know, yeah. Yeah. All coming out and saying that they should maintain the right to be able to discriminate. Now, no one else in the world uh, is allowed to discriminate on the basis of um, things that people can't change. Yet apparently the church wants to continue this right. The conservatives have backed this in. The Liberal Party is um, split down the middle between the Liberals and the conservative elements of their party. And it's great to see because you've got one element who, who are out there describing uh, this as a, a, a great small L liberal tradition to you know, eliminate discrimination. And you've got the conservatives out there trying to bring their own government down. Uh, for defending the rights of um, people to be able to marry each, marry each other. So this is a tremendous victory that isn't the victory of the, the, the Liberal Party. This is a victory that stretches back generations when those brave and courageous gay, lesbian people or members from the LGBTI community have fought relentlessly to um, end discrimination, to end oppression, to build equality, and um, I salute their struggle. They're the ones uh, who were blacklisted. They're the ones who were shot out of their family home. They're the ones that killed themselves. They're the ones who have suffered generations of abuse and discrimination on the basis of their sexual 
eventuality. And every one of them that fought um, to end that um, should celebrate this great victory along with everyone else who supported it. So it was a fantastic outcome that I'm glad uh, our union, right from the very start, has supported uh, marriage equality and an end to all forms of discrimination against all LGBTIQ people. Great result. And thanks to all of the members for their support um, in this campaign over a number of years, probably since John Howard changed the Marriage Act around 10 years ago, uh, the MUA became uh, involved in it relentlessly. Comrade Keto, you've got a, a number of campaigns to report. Can you can you give us an update, please? Yes, uh, Comrade. Uh, well, we had the AGM, and that was a you know it's a significant body of work, and uh, it, it shows in those reports three hours of uh, you know given the full uh, report of what's happening right across the industry, and our uh, National Assistant Secretary Warren Smith gave that report. And it was received really well and, you know, front and centre of that was obviously the amalgamation uh, vote that had come out and mandating our way forward in this uh, tremendous and wonderful amalgamation with the CFMEU and the TCFUA. Uh, But there was a whole host of things in the AGM that we uh, spoke about and it's really important that we talk about what was on the ground and what we'd been doing for quite a while and what we're leading the way on. And I must say that the uh, the Blue Water campaign, those struggles and, you know, the right to work has been front and centre for our union. In recent time, there is not a- another group of workers that's seen such attacks as we see on seafarers in our country. We're not going away. You know, even this morning, uh, Dan Crumlin and myself, and it's historical. Uh, we were down on a uh, tanker you know, come in uh, from overseas um, uh, with Australian crew on it and it's going to be on the coast. Uh, we're fighting back. A lot of the uh, the report was about us fighting back. You know, there's big legal cost in this uh, system that's broken, this industrial relations system that needs to be ripped up and rewritten. And you'll hear a bit about all those things uh, uh, later, especially around that Stop the War on Workers uh, rally. Uh, but I was really proud of our membership because as we fo- uh, finished up on that uh, report, I spoke with the executive prior after um, the discussions me and you had had, Mecca, um, whereby the plight of the uh, refugees on Manus Island Detention Centre and the inhumanity, you know, being dished out on them, this complete and utter human tragedy that's unfolding and we're seeing it, you know, in the papers and in the media and it moved us as an executive and the report that I gave on your behalf, comrade, to the membership was that we were seeking that they would support an on-the-ground on campaign so that they these poor, wretched people would uh, be able to have the most basic of needs, food and water, the most basic of needs. And uh, I gave that report, uh, sought for the membership to uh, discuss it. We wanted to donate $10,000 and that was received with, you know, just the most tremendous of compassion and humanity. It was unanimous from the floor and it was a very proud moment for me and certainly our branch and our union, I believe, 
and we have people on the ground. We are closely knitted in with these wonderful people through the um, refugee action coalitions, and um, we're there with them, and we're we're going to fight because they haven't got a voice. If we're going to be their voice or the conscience of this country uh, and our members, we will be. And it was a it was a tremendous occasion. The IDC. Uh, some some of the international stuff. Um, we got down to the business with the uh, zone coordinators meeting on the 14th of uh, November up in Brisbane. Myself, along with six rank and filers, went up to the uh, to the meeting. Whereby, you know, by and large, uh, as the members know, it's a flat organisation with more than 92 affiliates of Dockers unions across the world. Our um, International Zone Coordinator, Geordie Aragunde, uh, gave the report about what's going on around the world. And the IDCs on the west coast of Africa, amongst those dockers in those ports, building that solidarity. And, and we talked about, you know, where we go in this region, this part of the world, which uh, the Sydney branch, along with the uh, Queensland branch of the MUA, have committed to... Um, Going into this part of the world, uh, we'll probably start with uh, India and some of those ports where we've got connections. But the report was uh, fully endorsed by uh, the zone coordinators and it was pretty substantial. We're in a good place financially, so we're doing good. Uh, but there were two proposals that the Sydney branch had put up to our wonderful comrades. And I've got to say, when, when, I talk, when we talk about internationalism, you know, um, it'd be wrong not to talk about our deep connection with the ITF and the course that changed after the 98 Patrick's lockout, where our union, small union as we are, uh, decided that we would be more involved so that this organisation, the ITF, would move into a more active, more fighting organisation for work and people across the world in our industry. This is a flat organization the idc and the zone directors uh, zone coordinators from spain argentina belgium the us hong kong indonesia and obviously here in australia convened and we put from sydney two proposals one was to form these idc teams out of the affiliates consistent of nine or ten affiliates whereby we build systems of solidarity and action and campaign against these employers across the world as they are the same employers that our members uh, work for. Uh, the second proposal was a significant one. And I've got to say, the reason why the IDC was formed uh, was because of struggle. It was formulated by the consciousness of Dockers with the Liverpool Dockers lockout in 95, and it was to establish a force whereby when employers attacked us, we would mobilise across the world, dockers, and take on those employees in defence of our comrades where that struggle is. But we also formulated a view, given that we are some of the most organised workers on the planet, that we weren't going to sit in silence and see our comrades in ports around the world that were being exploited in ways that we hadn't seen in our own um, you know, parts of the world for, in, in some cases, a number of generations. So the proposal from Sydney, the second proposal was about formulating a global minimum standards 
for safety for dockers, but it would incorporate um, industrial standards. And it's about dockers' rights, quality of life, and work conditions, as I said. So that was passed unanimously, and it was a tremendous um, accolade, I think, from from uh, you know our comrades in the IDC to support this initiative. A lot of work to do, but it was great. And Dan, comrade, you were at the Stop the Work, um, Stop the War on Workers rally in uh, in the city, which had um, by media reports fifteen thousand, but we reckon there were at least thirty. Um, what did you think of the rally, comrade? Yeah, comrade, it was a cracker of a rally, 15,000, 20,000 marching through the streets of Sydney to send Turnbull and send Senator Cash a message to stop the war on workers. The government introduced some bad laws and bad legislation, such as the ABCC, certain laws that see uh, seafarers dragged out of their rightful place of employment, out of their bunks by state and private police. It was a huge rally. We had uh, the three terminals worked off in solidarity, so well done to those comrades and what a great act of support uh, to workers in struggle that is. And uh, I've got to give a special shout-out to Kenny Riley and Mark Bass from the IDC, both presidents of their locals. They flew down from Brisbane from the uh, Queensland branch conference, so what a, great, what a great turnout for international solidarity. Yeah, it was fantastic for those comrades to be there and be witness to a massive rally on the streets of Sydney and the uh, MUA um, hosted that along with the CFMEU. It was a great honour to do that. And as you indicated, for us to get the support of the, the wharfies who, who told us that they were, they were going to stop work and attend this important rally gave us the ability to um, get those workers off. And we're going to hear from um, Sparkles shortly. But we're first, um, I wanted to indicate that there's also been other rallies um, that we've been involved in as well. There's been the Torbins campaign. 13 weeks, these workers were locked out. Scabs are in there. Um, we had a, a lawyer in there, Paul Brown, who was involved in the, in the Hutchison dispute. And, you know, there's another tremendous victory for that bloke. He's just been defeated again. There's an outcome there where the workers are back in the gate, the scabs are out, and um, there's been a result for those brave uh, trade unionists that we supported. And also at Dritz, uh, we spoke at, on the last Radio Stingray podcast about uh, boycotting Streets ice creams. We all knew how hard that would be over the summer. Not as hard as these poor workers that were locked out um, there where the company was seeking a 46% reduction in their pay, wanting to strip the enterprise agreement, go back to the award. Tremendous cuts and losses to those comrades' uh, working conditions. And they fought back. They've, they fought a very brave um, struggle, not just in their workplace, but involved themselves and their union in a massive boycott campaign, and they won against a massive multinational corporation. So it just goes to demonstrate, comrades, when you do fight, you mightn't win every time, but you certainly put yourself in the best possible position to win. And um, it's been a number of really great outcomes for the union movement over the past month. We also had a PNG Dockers rally where 1,000 PNG Dockers were sacked. Uh, these workers are, you know, exploited to the extreme. This company, ICTSI, were able to find more exploited workers, non-union workers, to replace the, the PNG Dockers. We went up to the embassy in Sydney, along with many other trade unions who came out and supported us, uh, and with other comrades who have been involved in PNG solidarity movements, and we were able to pass a letter on to the, um, the, the embassy uh, outlining that if there is not an outcome, we're going to participate in further actions against um, everyone involved in this despicable act of anti-unionism and uh, anti-worker uh, attacks. Um, and it was great to see that the AGM 
um, by all reports, was packed out. The room was packed out to hear that important AGM report, not only about the disputes and campaigns that were involved in, but also the financial um, side of the union. And um, I appreciate and thanks uh, everyone who attended the AGM. And finally, comrades, some good news to report in relation to our Sydney branch numbers. We've increased our numbers in the last month by about 100, with 40-odd down there at DP World. Uh, where as a consequence of the last labour review, they've had a number of training schools go through. Also at Patrick's, as a consequence of the very long negotiation that took place over the last six months or so, we reported it on the last podcast. But a great outcome, for particularly for those comrades who, um, whose, whose parents work on the waterfront, to be able to get their children uh, a job in our industry is something that we all wish to do and it's been an enormous success as well as down at Sydney Ferries where we've also got a number of new recruits there over the, um, over the next few months. So we're very excited about the growth in our numbers. It's not something that unions can traditionally report. It's been uh, a, a situation of decline in most in most unions, but in the Sydney branch, we're always fighting for new members. We're going into non-traditional areas, which we've reported on extensively, and to see our numbers up over 100 in the last month speaks testament to our ability to, to get jobs in our industry. Hi, it's Marla from Radio Stingray, and today I'm joined by someone that needs no introduction. Brian Sparkles Parker from the CFMEU. How are you going, Brian? I'm going very well, thanks, Marla. You just organised the Stop the War on Workers rally, which was a really large rally, and we saw thousands of workers from diverse occupations come out with community activists. Why was it so important to organise such a rally, and why do you think thousands of people were motivated to come out and to stand in solidarity with the CFMEU? Well, I think basically because workers are sick and tired of the inequality of wages for workers versus the wages for the big end of town. And the fact is, is that we had hundreds of stop work meetings on building sites right throughout Sydney and the metropolitan areas. We spoke to tens of thousands of workers about the inequality that is still exists in our industry and the problems that exist in terms of being under the watchful eye of a federal police force called the Australian Building and Construction Commission. So workers clearly understand because we're trying to educate them about the whole process of what happens when you've got a conservative government, what happens in terms of uh, conservative government going after the trade union movement. And the fact is that they see that workers have already in places like hospitality and in retail have lost their penalty rates they see that the great attacks upon us in terms of a building code, which restricts a number of capacities for us, it restricts us from having our shutdown weekends, which is great leisure time for workers and their families, but it also restricts or attempts to restrict rates of pay and conditions, takes away things like uh, picnic day, takes away a number of things. We've had to change names of things. We've had to do different things to make sure it's code compliant and to make sure that we're still delivering decent wages and conditions. So workers in our industry uh, really clearly understand what the attacks are all about. And the fact is they wanted to show um, that they were out on the street on that particular day. We, uh, we tend to think that we had in excess of over 15,000 people. It was a great rally. Um, the fact is that we need to keep um, the whole issue alive and continue it. And there's no doubt that um, 
that we need to make workers aware politically what can happen to them with their wages and conditions that are not only going to affect them, but their families and their kids to come. So you mentioned the building code. Can you just explain how that limits the rights of workers and unions and how it's actually an attack on our democracy? Yeah, I certainly can. So the building code does a, a number of things. It, um, it obviously takes away a, a fundamental wording out of the agreements that talks about occupation, health and safety. So it actually waters down occupation, health and safety for workers. But it also tries and attempts to take away a number of other conditions that have been hard fought and won by unions over a long period of time. So in the wage packet, they attempt to do that. Although um, the fact is, is that we have looked at this very carefully. We've had lawyers nationally uh, look at the whole process of the code and we've been able to get around a lot of their wording by delivering wages and conditions in another way um, to make sure that it's still compliant with the code, but we're delivering it. The fact is, is that um, workers understand, especially in the building construction industry, because the code um, not only restricts them in, in uh, some, a number of ways, but it also, there's legislation in place that um, that they can be you know, dragged in for what they call a compulsory interview, which is an interrogation. And workers, you know, if they don't, if they refuse to do that, they can be fined, not fined, sorry. They'll be, they can't, it's not a fine, it's not a, it's not a bond they received, good behavior bond, at six months jail. That's the only form of legislation. So you've got that particular issue, but then you've got issues related to, you know, your rates of pay and conditions, um, but we've managed to get around that. But in terms of, it takes away a number of things, such as our shutdown weekends. We cannot have words like shutdown weekends in the terms of our agreement. We've used another word called family leisure days. Um, and the fact is, is that what the ABC does, the ABCC, the Australian Building and Construction Commission, what they actually do is they say to builders, you must open on this day, you must not shut. So with your big rally that happened on the 16th of November, we saw MUA Wharfies walk off the job and shut Pot Botany. What does that solidarity mean, and especially considering that our union's emerging? It is the greatest, it's the greatest show of solidarity that I've seen uh, for a significant amount of years. I mean, in all honesty, um, to, be out, to actually go and shut down the whole of Port Botany and bring along workers to a rally um, that you know really affects construction workers. It, it does, in some means, cons- do, does affect sometimes the the Maritime Union of Australia's uh, members. It does, but more so the construction industry. But it's a great show of solidarity. It's a great show of strength. I think that um, this merger that's that's taking place um, is going to uh, you know show the Australian public what a great unions that we are both and that the strength uh, is together and you know it's always been the motto of both unions you know strength together solidarity making sure that um, we can help each other well there's no doubt that um, there's going to be a lot of politicians from both sides of uh, politics are very nervous about this uh, merger and so they should be because we're going to take it up to all the employers we're sick and tired of the wage theft that's been taking place for decades and decades now. And uh, we're going to get back 
those conditions that have that have try, attempted to be taken away from us. Some of them, some of them, they've been successful in legislation, but at the end of the day, we're going to get them back. We're just going to continue to work hard together. Um, and I say to every MUA member that turn up to that rally, hats off to you. Thank you very much. On behalf of all the members of the CFMEU, on behalf of uh, the CFMEU's executive, uh, we we appreciate very much that strength of solidarity that was shown on the day. Comrades, we've got a number of uh, big disputes that we need to report on. PG, mate, you've got some terrible news in relation to one of our um, core areas. Look, it's not terrible yet, but it's got the potential to be if it's handled incorrectly. The four gas buggies, the Northwest Sandling, the Northwest Sandpipe, the Northwest Snipe and the Northwest Storm Petrol, are four Australian ships which carry LNG from Karathra up to Japan, and they do it under a, what they call a continuation of operations agreement. And essentially it means that the ships will continue to transit by hook or by crook and deliver the gas to Japan whilst that uh, project's alive. Our members have been working non-stop on those four ships. They've been delivering gas without incident, without stoppage since 1989 and done one of the best jobs. The four ships actually lead the Shell fleet internationally when it comes to safety and efficiency. They are the best in the world with the Aussie seafarers on there. But what's happened in a recent meeting this week, we've been advised that uh, by Woodside and by the shipping project that they're looking to change the operation now and put in place a situation where the ships won't deliver the gas anymore as part of the uh, contracted sale up to Japan and it's up to the buyers in Japan to organise their own shipping. We are currently doing a review at the moment. Certainly National Office have been heavily involved and there's a number of conversations taking place because on initial value and on initial inspection and on every inspection thereafter, it's a breach of the COA. That document was signed off by six oil majors and the maritime unions, the three unions, to say that there is a rightful place for Aussie seafarers on board these ships. So that announcement's been made. They're looking to have a staggered uh, scale back between 2019 and 2029. So it's not going to happen today and it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's certainly 18 months leading time. We're going to have some further dialogue with the company next year. Um, We don't believe the fight's over yet. Uh, There'll certainly be a campaign to save these ships because they're integral to the gas supply. Um, the workers have done a phenomenal job and we owe it to those people as well as the, those workers as well as the industry to make sure these ships are maintained. You know, the oldest ship in the fleet, the Northwest Sandling, was launched in 1989. I call it the Benjamin Button because the older she gets, the younger she looks. That's how good our members are doing their job on board. But it's a campaign that's going to have to be reported on. Their ships have got to be protected. There's a fight in place and certainly that'll be updated as the months progress. Thanks, comrade. And Keto, you got a couple yourself there? Uh, yeah, comrade. Hutchison, we we had a dispute over um, overtime and the uh, enterprise agreements um, uh, interpretation. Basically, it's a it's around the fifteen sixty counted hours. Uh, won't take you through it too far, other than to say we thought that we found our way through it in front of the commissioner in regards to the enterprise agreements understanding given that there was mismanagement of the system by the company. We set out a plan for pretty much most of the day with the committee. Warren Smith was there, myself, and we nutted it through. Suffice to say, when we got to the end of the day, you know, typical of management, the, the throw a wobbly in and um, the whole thing was just thrown out. We had a couple of other matters in there relating to uh, members, but essentially we 
walked out the same way we went in on that day and that dispute's ongoing, but, you know, we'll get there. But with Hutchison, we, we do have a safety dispute and the dispute itself centres around substandard uh, systems of inspections and we're talking about rope inspections. Uh, one of the ropes a couple of weeks ago had snapped on one of the key cranes. The delegates, you know, moved into action very quickly sought the branch's uh, assistance and essentially over a weekend um, we worked it through uh, you know with the delegates HSRs and committees and um, the company was belligerent but uh, there were real issues I was asked to come down to assist the workers come down on the job very clearly a safety dispute and we're talking about real dangerous stuff in this industry why ropes snapping and finding out that the uh, there's little or no inspection regime uh, or maintenance. And, you know, we've had work cover brought in as well. But I'm going to put all companies on notice. You put our members into any state of uh, danger, expect that the union is going to come in on you. This was a real uh, dangerous uh, uh, situation the company had the gall to uh, turn around and say, say to myself, as a, uh, an official with a safety permit to enter workplaces to inspect these things, that it was illegal industrial action. Well, we ain't going to cop that. And um, uh, we won that. Work cover come in, vindicated with uh, some prohibitions on the company in regards to it. The investigation still continues. Uh, but what I will say is when it comes to this uh, safety dispute, it leads me into this issue that uh, at the same time uh, was occurring over at Patrick's. Although it's not a dispute, uh, again, it's a safety issue. And it was about one of our members uh, in one of the, in the key cranes uh, being overcome with carbon monoxide poisoning. Very serious he was put in hospital for three days. And it's about what we uh, have started to uncover in regards to the pressurising of these um, uh, cabins in the cranes. The fact is we're finding out that the air filter units have not been operating. The members haven't been trained in it. There's no training uh, program to it. Um, but the delegates, the HSRs, moved into action very quickly. The branch was contacted. Uh, we approached the company, but we have established the position we needed. Uh, the member, uh, I'll say, Ross Williams, great comrade. He's doing well for all those out there that want to know how he's going. He was in hospital for three days. This is real serious stuff. Crane driver being overcome with carbon monoxide poisoning. You know, this is, this is a dangerous industry. If we can't work safely, we remove ourselves from that place full stop and you'll have your union backing you all the way. Thanks, comrades, for those reports. Protect, Australia's leading severance and income protection fund for maritime workers. For a site visit or further information on how to get Protect in your enterprise agreement, contact Craig Johnson on 0400 671 274. Well, welcome back to Radio Stingray. Remember, jump on Facebook, leave a review, say, leave a like, jump on Snapchat, send a selfie, Instagram if it's there too, do that as well. But make sure you do uh, join it. Ask your friends to listen in and sign up. We try to get it out every month and hope you enjoy it.
Well, there's been a bit of travel going on too, and uh, two of our comrades have had the opportunity to represent the uh, Union overseas, Dan over in the Soviet and uh, Macker over in Ireland. I'll start with you, Macker, Comrade Secretary on seniority. You've just come back from uh, Ireland. How was it, mate? Well, it was amazing, I've got to say, and um, that was a, a wonderful intro- introduction there, comrade. The MUA Sydney branch um, is very fortunate to have so many wonderful relationships all around the world, and as secretary, it is enormously humbling uh, every single time you come into contact with comrades all around the world who, who show their appreciation for what our membership have done over many generations, and... Uh, I was very fortunate to get an invitation to the Sinn Féin Ardesh, which is their annual conference. And I've got to say, I, I've, I've come back after those two weeks having learnt so much. Uh, a number of years ago, I had the very good fortune of meeting Martin Ferris, a, uh, a wonderful human being and a courageous and brave fighter, uh, second to none. And in that conversation I had with him, I was able to double um, my intelligence um, and for those out there who know me it's not a, a wonderful achievement but it was a great a great discussion that I was able to have now that was magnified a hundredfold going over to Ireland uh, I was very fortunate not only to attend the Ardesh and Sinn Féin is a wonderful organisation you often hear all of the propaganda that gets spewed out by conservatives everywhere about this organisation they are a fantastic political party they've had to struggle against enormous uh, obstacles and assaults on their on their ability to even prosecute a case on behalf of their constituents. They are fighting uh, for a united Ireland. They are Republican. Uh, they're unashamedly socialist, and they are a community union. From my perspective, they are doing what we should be doing, and that is getting out there in the community, representing their communities in every possible way, not just politically, but ensuring that access to social justice, access to um, rights and entitlements, as far as um, the community is concerned. It's just fantastic. So I learned a hell of a lot. I was able to meet the most magnificent people. Uh, the Irish, I've got to say, I've never come across um, a, a group of people collectively who were so generous. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. it. I wasn't surprised necessarily, but the level of generosity and solidarity that not only um, the, the members of Sinn Féin showed me, but just uh, the Irish people in general was, was phenomenal. Uh, I, I was able to go down to Kerry and meet up with the comrades um, there. I met with the Dublin Dockers. I went up to Belfast and, and had a tour of the, a number of the areas that were involved uh, during the conflict, during the troubles and before it. And it, it just hit me, uh, even after reading so much of the history of Ireland, my family um, on both sides left um, during or just after the, the famine uh, in which um, uh, over a million people died. Uh, of a population of only uh, around eight million or so, and a further million and a half led, left. It left the country devastated, all as a consequence of greed um, and inequality and discrimination. All of the same issues that we're experiencing now, not just um, in this country, but much more so in other parts of the world. And, um, and, and Ireland had been all through that. And, and we should have learnt the lessons then about what destructive policies, what imperialism can, can, can do to a population and to a country. And ever since then, um, and before that for that matter, the, the Irish people have been standing up against that British imperialism that has denied them their, their full right to emancipation and to self-determination. And the people there right throughout the country are still fighting for it. 
and it was just a, a phenomenal experience. I met up with a, a, a number of retired Belfast dockers who, who just, you know, we're, we're the same everywhere we go. Anyone who's had the, the luxury, and it is a luxury, uh, of representing the, the MUA around the world knows full well that when you meet up with maritime workers in any part of the world, we're one and the same. We, we, we are one and the same. We share the same senses of humor. We share the same work ethic. We share the same politics in, 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 in rough ways. Um, and, and we share generosity and solidarity of spirit. Uh, and, and that was just on full display. And I've got to thank everyone, um, that I met, particularly Teresa Ferris, Martin Ferris, Barry McColgan, uh, and a number of other comrades that, um, really looked after me right throughout the entire island. Uh, I learned so much. Uh, I'm going to take away from it, um, a tremendous amount. And I want, uh, to implement a number of the things that I learned, uh, not only at the Ardesh, uh, but also in discussions with multiple Sinn Féin representatives throughout the country. And, you know, I also, I learn a lot from pe- people who were involved in, in, in the troubles. Um, people who had to fight in the most difficult of circumstances. Um, I got told about the, the, the hunger strikers. Now, I don't care how much you, you can read without talking to people involved and without being uh, in these communities and seeing where these uh, struggles took place, you can never appreciate it. Uh, and I developed a huge appreciation for how difficult it was um, for the Irish people um, to be subjected to these brutal um, forms of oppression uh, and discrimination, to have tanks, soldiers marching through your streets, tearing people out of their homes, shooting kids. I mean, uh, I've seen uh, what a plastic bullet looked like. I never I never saw a plastic bullet in real life before. You see them on TV, you see them in magazines, you see them on the internet. But until you see one and see the brutal consequences of when it hits a, an innocent kid. You know, I went to Derry and uh, and learnt about the phenomenal history uh, of um, of comrades in Derry and Tyrone for that matter and right throughout the country. Everywhere throughout Ireland is a history of struggle. Not just the 1916 um, uprising, which uh, we had a number of comrades go over there uh, last year for the 100th anniversary. The history of James Connolly and James Larkin uh, enmeshed uh, in, in how we uh, involve ourselves in our union. The MUA uh, has a tradition of militancy, of uh, political uh, progressive radicalism and a, a lot of that I've got to say comes from the wonderful example of James Connolly and James Larkin and those that followed him. Uh, it was a, a, a tremendous opportunity that I took full advantage of and um, I've started writing a report and I'm looking forward to hopefully finishing that by the end of the year uh, and um, I'll release it uh, over the internet for, for the three or four people that will probably read it but it was a wonderful uh, opportunity and I can't thank um, our union uh, every member who's ever been a part of it for giving me the opportunity to go there because it's only through that history of struggle and continuity of struggle that we continue to get invited to these events yeah, Good on you Mac and we'll look forward to getting that report we'll throw that up on the website and on our uh, different distribution list, thank you very much, it was very comprehensive and certainly um, a lot more to read. Dan you were over in 
uh, Moscow last month for the October Revolution, the 100th anniversary. Tell us about it, mate. Yeah, that's correct, BG. On the uh, 7th of November, workers around the world celebrated the 100-year anniversary of the uh, great October Revo- Socialist Revolution. Um, I had the great privilege and honour to travel over there with Joe Deacon and um, be involved in the celebrations. It was a, such a significant moment in history, Paul, and uh, workers all around the world really owe the labour rights they enjoy today to the revolution. I mean, the whole thing, you know, workers showed the world that there's an alternative to war and exploitation. Um, I was talking earlier about the march. Well, I'll tell you what, we had a march through Red Square, right through Moscow with myself and Joe and tens of thousands of other comrades and it's something that I'll really cherish for a very long time, Paul. And, uh, yeah, it's just a great honour to represent the vet branch at such a uh, monumental occasion and I think myself and Joe are going to put a report together and uh, we'll get that out to the membership as well. Oh, well, thanks a lot, Dan, for, for going over there on behalf of the rank and file of the Sydney branch. And uh, Joe wanted to, to give a report and undoubtedly we'll hear from him when he's back on his feet. But it was a tremendous event to be a part of nothing can inform us more as workers than examples of where workers and the working class have overthrown oppressive regimes and there is no finer example from my perspective than in in 1917 where there were two revolutions and it was only the october revolution that succeeded in overthrowing uh, the barbaric um, system of capitalism that has not often been replicated and workers are told too often uh, that we must reform our way out of this mess, um, that we've got to negotiate our way out of this mess. Now, no amount of reform or no amount of negotiation is going to give us the opportunity to achieve the dignity and justice that we deserve as a working class. The only way is revolution. The only way is overthrowing capitalism and doing everything we possibly can to replace it with a non-exploitative uh, system which ensures that people can live the lives that we all deserve. There's no nothing stopping us from having everything that we're entitled to apart from some people wanting more than others. That's that's what the whole system of capitalism relies upon. We, we, we can send people to space. We can feed people, clothe people, house people, educate people. Everything's there for us to do. The only obstacle to that is one person's desire to have more than the next. And until we recognise the innate beauty of um, of non-exploitation, we will never understand the true value of being a human being. 2017, 100th uh, anniversary of the Great October Socialist Revolution. It was the one of the great events in human history. We've had a number of events celebrating it, and I'm sure... Uh, that the next century will be determined on the basis of whether we are successful in eliminating exploitation or not. If we're not, it's highly unlikely that we're going to have a world that closely resembles the current one because of our greed and insatiable appetite for more and more and more. So hopefully we can all le- learn the lessons not only of uh, 1917 but also the year before it. The 1916 uprising also inspired um, you know, tens of millions of people all around the world for, to fight for justice. Lenin said that 1916 was the first European socialist revolution and he followed it up the year later with his own.
Well, welcome back to Radio Stingray. Three or four weeks ago, you might have been partying for New Year's Eve, and before you know it, it's December again, and it's Christmas time again, and 2017's coming to a close. It's been a long year. Um, I've been proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with your comrades, and including our mate at home, Joe Duke, and I hope you get better, mate, and look forward to seeing you back on deck soon. But just want to also wish at this time of the year a Merry Christmas to all the members. I want to say thank you for everyone who's stood up and been part of a struggle, who's fought to redeem another industrial condition or a social condition, who's stood up to take on a boss or stood up to look after another member in need. Um, it's one of the reasons why we're proud to be MUA to do what we do. And we don't need uh, Christmas to be nice to someone on one day of the year because the MUA looks after people every day of the year. Spot on, Paul. Um I, I want to make a special mention to the Women's and Children's Emergency Centre in Redfern. At the AGM, uh, we did a whip around uh, our dear comrade Marla and the crowd got up $750, uh, which was wonderful. These are um, wonderful organisations looking after uh, women and children in the most desperate of situations. And those community workers at this place, ASU workers, uh, a big shout out there. But we're going to round that up to $1,000 from the branch. Um, and I want to wish everyone a very um, happy and safe Christmas. I think it's it's this time of year that we, we think about those around us and our loved ones. Um, and I hope you have a, a good holiday period, comrades. And um, that's it. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, comrades, and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone out there listening and uh, look forward to a fight in 2018. Good on you, comrade. And uh, as has been said by everybody, I certainly wish all of our members, their families and loved ones and anyone who's listening uh, to this show, uh, Christmas is celebrated by different people in different ways. Um, as an atheist, I, I, I view Christmas as an opportunity of our family to come together uh, and spend a, a very special time of the year. I I was only away for two weeks and I thought about the numerous seafarers that are away from their family, uh, not only at Christmas time, but right throughout the year as well. They're away from their families for many, many weeks at a time. I struggled after the first couple of days and uh, I thought about their time at sea and it's very difficult for them. So if you can spare a thought for our seafarers and other workers that, that aren't going to be at home at that period of, of the year, it's, a, it's a, a situation that I'm sure they would reverse if they had the chance to. Uh, and comrades, we are good. There's a tremendous amount of good in us as uh, as human beings. We have an opportunity to to create a much better world, and all you have to do is get involved. It's not hard. It's often free. Uh, we're not under attack uh, in the ways that many of our comrades are around the world, and it's a wonderful opportunity, solidarity, and you can learn so much from it, uh, and you can get so much from it. So, have a great Christmas. Um, it's been a massive year. We hope you enjoy this podcast. It's designed to get information out in a different format. We we like doing it. We like talking to you. We like updating you. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to get in contact through us um, via all of the various means that you've got available. Uh, have, a, have a great um, Christmas and New Year, and we look forward to continuing the struggle next year. All the best, comrades. And as Macca likes to say, if you can see water, join the MUA. A Merry Christmas.
You're tuned in to Radio Stingray. Radio Stingray podcast was brought to you by McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, assisting MUA members and their families for 40 years. Phone 9233-4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get McNally's on your side.